Hey everybody, welcome to another lovely episode of The Collective Podcast. Today we have the first woman on The Collective Podcast, my friend Jessica Hish. That's great. That's correct. Excellent, excellent. Awesome. Uh, we met actually out in the Philippines. We um, we spoke at Graphic uh, Manila out there. It was awesome. And um, we got a good chance to hang out and it was really amazing, really cool experience to hang out with everybody out there. And and uh, ever since then, I was like, you have to come on the podcast because she has just this amazing energy. She's super open. She has some really awesome resources on her website. And also, she does amazing talks. She blew us all out of the water with her talk out there. It was really awesome. And it was just really cool. Uh, she uh, specializes in lettering, um, a letterer, and she also does a lot of design work as well. I'll have a, a link to all her, all her work and her website and what she's up to recently and stuff. We're going to get kind of deeply into some of those topics and stuff. But without further ado, welcome the first woman on the Collective Podcast. Woo! I can't believe it's taken you this long to have a lady. How dare me? <laughs> How dare I, huh? I mean, come on. Everybody, I mean, there's been a lot of complaints actually recently. Um, the past, they're like, dude, you have like 50 podcasts and no women yet. And I'm like, you know what? I just never really thought of it. To be completely honest, I, I just base it off of like the people that I meet. Yeah, or... you know, and that's fine. You know, I feel like the more I meet um, conference organizers or people that do podcasts and stuff like that, it always feels super smarmy when they like really try super hard to get women on versus yeah. just ma- letting it flow and be natural. But I'm just surprised that your flow didn't take you more towards ladies sooner. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, was... I, I think that's I think that's better that you didn't like you're like oh let me get my lady quota. You know, I that's yeah so that's bullshit. Like, it's yeah, just bullshit. yeah, it's just a matter of like when when it happens. You know, like I mean we we met back in Manila and that was like what I don't know th- four months ago now. Yeah, it and, was a while ago. And I've been trying to get you on the podcast since then. So it's not like it's, you know, without like, but it was, it's not because you're a chick. It's because you're killer. You're an awesome person from hanging <laughs> out with you. It was like so fantastic. I'm like, dude, we need to continue this conversation. And also want to extrapolate on like a lot of like the cool things that you were teaching me that I was just like, this is killer. You know, like then, and a lot of people that listen to these things are really um, keen on trying to learn these different little, you know, little thoughts and lessons basically from people that are actually um, doing this stuff for a living. So, yeah, but, but I never really thought of it though. That's kind of the weird thing too. And, and getting a lot of flack from people. I'm like, you know what? Like, honestly, I mean, I do this stuff for free, you know, so I can't, you know, (laughs) come on now. It's like, you you know, it's not like McDonald's, you know, so give me a break here. But, um, no, it's, it's, it's killer. And, you know, I don't know. I'm stoked. I'm, 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 I'm happy we set aside some time today to talk. So. Yeah, me too. I'm pumped. Yeah. I, I can't believe we haven't talked yet after our trip because it was so magic and we were all having such crazy uh, friend vibes afterwards. I was like, oh man, this is going to be epic. Dude, well, life came back in. You know, I got home and then, you know, the wife and daughter are just like, look at me. And then, you know, all the work <laughs> is like, hey, look at me over here, you know, and I'm sure the same thing and your husband and everything. You're just like, dude, because you travel a ton. That's like something that, um, you you're like always on the on the road you're always flying around too huh like doing all the different conferences and talks and stuff i have been certainly for the last couple of years and trying to chill it out of it but it's tough you know <laughs> in, in terms of actually you know bringing it back to like the lady quota kind of thing i feel like um you know conference organizers are always looking for people that 
have good work to show, but also are like really good at public speaking. Yeah. And the only way that you get good at public speaking is through practice. So it just becomes uh, this like thing where the field of people available that have those skill sets gets like narrower and narrower <laughs> if you only yeah. ever invite the same people. Yeah. So I feel like uh, I end up getting asked a lot just because I'm like a sure thing. You know, everyone knows that I have a lot of experience doing speaking and that I can like, you know, worst case scenario, just have like a bunch of pretty sides on slides on screen that people are like, Ooh, you, know? <laughs> you <But>. yeah, <laughs> you're, you're super engaging with it. Um, it was really cool. I mean, I sat there just basically taking mental notes because your en energy and enthusiasm, it's not, it's a very difficult task to actually do um, public speaking. I took like a class in college, I think for public speaking and it was like when I took the class I was like yeah yeah this is bullshit you know like get out of here. <laughs> but when I had to go up there and, and in Manila it was an amazing amazing group of people that were there um, and there was like how many people were in the crowd it was like it was like a U2 show or something it was, it was a lot I think it was, was like 2,500 or 3,000 people or something because I think yeah. it was the biggest crowd I had spoken in front of it was crazy. I had him do the wave. It was that big. It was so yeah. so many people, and 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 nothing will prepare you. I mean, I played music. I performed live in front of like really large crowds, but have nothing can prepare me because I'm just there, and it's my stupid voice and my ridiculous work, and it's just me on stage in front of three hundred I or three thousand people. It's just like wow, man. It's a, it's a really intense, and nothing can prepare you for that. And seeing how well you carried yourself and kind of just were like, hey, it's me. Boom. You know, like, you're just like this. Well, I definitely find, too, that like, you know, 3,000 people is a lot of people. But basically, like, as soon as you go over like 500, it kind of feels the same. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like I, I haven't ever experienced like a stadium kind of situation before. But yeah. I could imagine that would be really, really different. I don't know <laughs> if I ever will. You know, like, that's not something that like designers don't get asked to speak in front of stadiums of people. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. But I, you know, anything over 500, you can't see everybody in the audience. And that's really all that matters. As soon as it becomes like speaking into like this room full of all the people that you like, you could never see everyone's face. Yeah, I, I guess that's a good one. I mean, yeah, I, I, I would, I guess that's probably better because it kind of becomes this like energy rather than like there's 50 people that are like sparsely put out in like a room that's kind of small and contained. Yeah. It, it can pro probably be like, uh, <laughs> the only thing is though, when you do deal with like a bigger audience, you're way more aware of like the quiet when oh, like the yeah. audience is being quiet. You're, you're like, like, damn, <laughs> they're being real quiet because it's hard for 3000 people to be quiet. Yeah. So I always get a little self-conscious when crowds get like less responsive. And you know, usually it's just happening because you're going over a topic that like, is not funny, you know, yeah. or like, you know, something that is actually like important and businessy or something like that. And they're paying attention, yeah. but it's totally weird. Like I'd rather just be up there and be like the court jester that keeps them laughing the whole time than like <laughs> sit there with the quiet. It's so disconcerting. <laughs> well, well, that's the key I think, right. Is capturing that like kind of fun energy where it's just, it's not like, um, because I've been to some talks where there's the people are really great, but they, they're very bland and it's almost like when when I'm sitting there, like I kind of want to be entertained as well because like as as heavy and dense as some of this information is, it gets boring and monotonous. And so I kind of want to be like, yeah, tell a joke in between here, you know, like capture, like switch my mood around a little bit. And and I actually before we went out to Graphic Manila, I I, I had watched a bunch of different talks just to kind of get my head around it and understand like how the energy is captured and stuff. And some people just naturally have it, but I think. 
like you said, a lot of it's just due to mileage, you know, and if you can put the miles in basically by the experience, but the only way to be good at it is by like doing it and then you have to be accepted or invited to these things, you know, so. Yeah, well, it's also too, I mean, some people overly script their talks because they're so nervous about it. Yeah. And those can work really well if you're like an excellent writer. Like if you're an excellent writer, you can do a really scripted talk if, if you could write a 5,000 word essay and keep people like reading it straight to the end, uh, it like, it totally works. Yeah, but if email you, me, yeah, exactly. <laughs> help, help me. <laughs> but, but if you can't do that, I mean, you don't, you, I mean, you shouldn't do a scripted talk. You should do something a little more natural and just let your slides kind of like guide you through it. Sure. Of course. I think it's just a matter of who you are as a person and how you um, display yourself, you know, out in the public eye, which is a very challenging thing and, and which is something that I thought was really rad. I spent a bit of time um, before our podcast to kind of read through your website and there's that there's that thought section, which I just promoted and threw out on the web, which I think is really awesome. Um, one thing that I noticed in my career that I think that helps a lot is when you share, um, and I think you're really privy to it as well, is um, sometimes it's kind of odd because you don't know everybody, you know, you don't know if there's going to be a creeper out there, and nine times out of ten, most people are just like you and they're good people, but sharing all this stuff, you have a lot of resources and your thoughts, basically, it's basically it's your thoughts, you know. But you had a lot of really awesome points. And um, one of the things I thought was great is that you, you mentioned, like, you know, being in the public eye, um, the strength, the pros and cons of that. I think it's really, actually, from my pers- perspective, it's really cool to do that because it allows yourself, no matter what, it allows yourself to be out there. So you're not just, like, this person that people are seeing your work. You're actually, like, a person behind the list. There's a thought. There's a whole concept to what you're doing, you know? Well, it really, it helps me too, because I feel like the, like expectations shift so crazily when people only know you as being this like, you know, public person, you know, as, you know, as being like this, like designer to look at, like, you know, to scrutinize basically, um, versus just being like them. And you just happen to be in this like really weird situation where everyone's (laughs) paying attention to you, you know, (laughs) I, I think that people are so intense with their criticism of anyone that's putting out things into the world, especially if they have a big audience. Yeah. Like I, I find it, I actually was finding it especially true this month. Um, just, I had just noticed a lot of articles being posted online in which like immediately people would write like, Oh, but you forgot all this other stuff. Like <laughs> it, like, like, you know, it's almost as if everybody needs every article that goes online to become this like, massive compendium of everything that came before it and that's not what it's meant to be you no, know like I yeah. would make jokes all the time when I posted stuff to my thoughts part of my site being like this is not an article for the New York Times you are on my blog like I will you know like I would get criticism for <laughs> for like cursing or you know some people would say oh you know I think that thing that you said is wrong and I'm like okay cool I mean that's it's my opinion it's my website you know yeah yeah <laughs> so, exactly yeah, there's a with it's within reason, right? And then you can't like cater to everybody because when you cater to everybody, you just you make blah, you know. So it's like it's like almost like you're stretching yourself too thin. That's been one thing I've had a problem with, like fighting against too, is is how much to release and then how much not to. And and I I found that in my career is it, the more I release and show, the better it is basically because it's just like. I just don't care, you know, like, why do I care? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that way, too. Like, you know, a lot of people freak out about um, showing too much themselves to the world or like giving away secrets or, 
you know, not being, not having a private life. I mean, I obviously have a private life, even though like I'm very open with how I live stuff, but it just all comes down to me to like, uh, just remembering being in like high school. And if you had like a secret, everyone like needed to know your secret, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like if you were just like, Hey guys, guess what? This thing about me and everyone's like, I don't fucking care about your life. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. As, as soon as you put it all out there, like the interest just totally wanes and then the only other the only people that stick around are the ones that actually like care about you sure it's like the random people that just want juicy news you know yeah I, I feel like i'm always torn between those two different types of people like i feel like i have that like i i want to be able to release all this stuff and that's why i do the podcast but sometimes i think to myself like that was a really stupid ass thing that i said in that podcast like two years ago yeah but <laughs> and then i'm going to regret it once i become more that. mature all yeah you, all you have to do is just if you ever get called out on shit that you said two years ago you just say you know i'm sorry i was you know, 25 or whatever. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm 30 now, but like for sure there's stuff that I've written and said, What you know, like videos of me talking from when I was like 23 and 24 years old. Sure. And there's stuff that is, I just don't believe to be true anymore in those talks. But it was true to me at the time. You know, yeah. you, can't really, you can't really get upset that your like set of facts changed with experience you know yeah well that's confidence right that comes with experience you know so i just like I, i'm always like I, I study like a lot of these other artists and some of them are very obscure and i think that what's that's what allures to like their like the curiosity of the public like like stanley kubrick for example like mm -hmm. he was very much like um too you know like he wasn't um, you know, I mean, he lived in a different age than us. We're totally more exposed to things and, and we allow ourselves to be, but he was much more like he would keep a lot of things tight, you know, like to just his family and then the people closest to him that he worked with and everything else is kind of like on the outside. But I think that's what led, led to a lot of like the myth, all like the myth behind him, you know? So, yeah. And I mean, it, it really just depends on what kind of personality you have I yeah, mean exactly not, no one ever since I was like a year old would have ever described me as being mysterious <laughs> <laughs> yeah you seem I like mean, you wear it all on your cuff like you're always ready to rock you know which is which is that's killer I think that really fits perfectly for what you do and the for you know especially with the talks and everything you know I think that really helps a ton you know it, it works but it's one of those things that I definitely struggled with I mean to be like a young lady with no mystery like you just become like kind of a caricature of a person you know which is yeah. fine I mean that's kind of me you know but I had a really hard time kind of accepting it because you'd see all these sort of like you know I'd have these kind of artsy lady friends that always seemed to be like batting dudes away because they were just like so cool and mysterious and I was like everyone's <laughs> everyone's like weird kid sister that like was just like look at me look at me you know all the time <laughs> It's just like a really different way to live. Sure. And I was like, man, why can't I be that other person? And I'm like, oh, I just don't have it in my DNA to do that. Yeah. Well, I think the key here that uh, I think is really great, and I think that people that are listening to this probably are picking up on, is that you 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 are happy you know there's a there's a happiness that comes with this like exchange basically of just being hey this is me i'm living in the moment almost in a sense like of just being myself you know yeah like if you fight who you are it's always a struggle you yeah. know like if you think about um i mean there's all these sort of like analogies that go back to when we were kids and we're trying to lie to our parents you know and stuff like that yeah and like yeah. The, the easiest lie to remember is the truth you know it's like one of those uh or huh. the easiest story to remember is the truth so if you always think about like 
if you just always present whatever it is that's your truth to the world, you know, whether you, it, maybe you are like a crazy, mysterious, artistic, you know, tempestuous personality. And because of that, the world sees a really small sliver of you, but that's you. They're still getting the sliver of you. That's you. Yeah. It's enough, you know, whatever you allow for your, for it to be, but it's just, it's just interesting. I, I love, I just like sometimes looking at the sidelines of everything and just looking at like, well, this guy does that and this guy's done this and he's done that and he's and this person's done this and you've done that. And, and so I always kind of like looking and, and analyzing and I just uh, there, but at the end of this, the common denominator for me is, is the personal happiness. The, 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 I guess the, um, I don't know how you'd say just, just the happiness basically, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's true with, you know, how you behave in the world and it's true with the work that you make. Like work that you make doesn't make you happy. If you don't get like delighted when you finish a project and like feel proud of the thing that you made, um, it's impossible for you to have the confidence to push it out into the world. Or like if you don't actually feel a happiness in making it and no one else discovers it, then there's really nothing good that came of it. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is a lot of people's scenarios too. Unfortunately, you you can't bank on everyone loving and seeing everything that you do. So at the worst, you have to be making stuff that makes you happy. Yeah. You know, which is actually like a not bad worst. It's a great worst. <laughs> That's a great worst. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I don't know. That's that's what I've been personally realizing. The more that I create, the more I just I'm trying to appeal to like the child within myself, I guess. The kid that was drawing as you know, like the the little kid that was drawing when I was just, you know, a younger younger boy basically that was just like totally enthralled by all these things around me. I'm just trying to go back to being that kid again. Because I get confused, I got really lost in like you know paying the bills and all that stuff, which is totally fine because it's a distraction that's you know necessary. But the time that I try to put in now is like almost going back to like my roots, you know. Yeah, and I mean paying the bills doesn't have to be terrible too. Nope. It's just you have to like you have to look at every piece of work that you make and think of like what what is the thing about that project that you love. Like maybe you might be working on a project that's like a high budget job that is not necessarily like the most, sorry, there's a street sweeper going on outside. (laughs) How how dare you? We're doing Uh, a podcast. No, it's um, okay. I can barely hear it. Oh, good. Um, But I mean, sometimes I'll do jobs that they definitely pay the bills. And and like if you actually examine it from afar, it's not the world's most exciting project. But I still really enjoy working on them because if a project like that happens, I can still do what I love to do, which is to do lettering work and to make art out of type, basically. Um, but I get to really focus on, like, okay, well, what was it like to interact with those people? Like, how did I have, like, an awesome time working with those art directors? Like, what did I learn from that experience? Yeah. So even on jobs that seem like not the most, like, the world's most exciting jobs um, in terms of, like, creative freedom – they can still be really fulfilling in other ways. How dare you be so positive? I'm super positive. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's it's wonderful. I mean, that's really. I mean, that's that's a real gift right there is being able to see the good in every angle. You know, like um, sometimes I myself, I personally fight. Like uh, I guess because I throw my all into it, and what that leads to is lack of sleep, and then I become a total like diva, like well, ang- you know, you know <laughs> bitchy guy. The way that I'm sort of able to like think about it that way is that a lot of people ask me like 
like, do I worry about, cause like lettering wasn't really a thing that a ton of people were doing before, like five years ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it became like this super, super popular thing that all designers <laughs> were trying to do. And then, um, so a lot of people, what do you equate that work, to? What do you think but, that is? The internet? You know, I, it's, I think it's the internet. I think it's like people wanting, um, you know, kind of rebelling against super gritty, like, Swiss internet stuff and just wanting to do something that feels like it's rooted in history. And, you know, I think a lot of it is that there were a couple of really great personalities behind the work that like really pushed it into the world and made a lot of people think it was a very sexy thing to do. Sure. So, but like the you thing seem is, like you do for sure. a lot of people ask me if I worry about the young designers coming up under me and like, you know, basically like, are they going to take my jobs away and blah, blah, blah. But I know that a successful career isn't just the work that you make. You know, it's oh, not yeah, yeah. It's, it's not it's about you. making the best work because there's plenty of people that are like a thousand times more talented than I am in terms of actually like, you know, people that have like that intense level of like hyper detailed ADD that can just like you basically that can sit there for like weeks and just work on like these little <laughs> detail things. And, yeah. and like that is a skill in its own. But I've been able to sort of develop like the cocktail of skills that has led to my ability to be successful. Yeah. And I just know that like in every interaction that you ever have, you're picking up on like interpersonal skills or, you know, writing skills or the ability to present your work in a different way skills or just like the ability to like be more empathetic towards the people that you're working with. And all of those things make this really awesome cocktail that make you able to like proceed in the world as a successful person. You know, so I know that my cocktail of things is really different from other people's cocktail of things. And like, while they might have more like on paper talent than me, they might not have some of the other talents that I have and vice versa, you yeah, know, which is the personality, you know, I think that that's one thing that is, is, is looked over a lot, especially because when, when somebody sees your work they, and they're on the internet, there's just this one, it's a one way communication. They're just seeing it and that's it, but they're not seeing that you as a person and the way you collaborate and interact with your clients and, and whether it's good or bad, it's just kind of, it's beyond all that. Like when I interact with my clients, I try to be very honest and direct, but then I also try to be, you know, a human being and be like, you know, like, what do you feel about this? And, 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 and so that personality, so that when I'm working with these people, if it's working well, which it usually does, it's all about that energy exchange, you know, and, and that is, is, is beyond your work. You know? Yeah. It's, and it's, it's one of those things too, like people forget that they don't have to, like, you have to focus on more than growing as an artist. You have yeah. to grow as like a person. Like that's like the most important thing is not like developing your work. The most important thing is like becoming a better person. Like yes. over the course of your your early life. And just career. in life in general. Yeah. yeah. You know, just being, uh, you know, a, I don't know, like I'm very big on lists now and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just trying to achieve like a better heightened sense of myself and uh, I've had like a couple people that were close to me die at a young age. And so like ever since that happened, I've been really uh, aware of time and how fragile we are. And like, you know, the awareness of that every moment of my life must be like used to do something towards a future goal or purpose, you know, mm -hmm. and just sharpening my blade to get to whatever that goal is. The problem I've had is that it becomes a, a, a black hole <laughs> because my dreams and aspirations and my goals, like they, they, they seem to see no, like there's no height to them really. Like I have to like put them within bounds and reasons. Do you have, do you have similar things where you have like big goals or things to accomplish or do you just 
Are you one of those damn people that just like enjoys frolicking along I, the I success kind of, of it all? <laughs> I kind of play you it by ear. You, know? <laughs> uh, you know, I have, I have, I don't have like, oh, I hope that in ten years I am doing this work because sure. I'm really happy with the work that I'm doing now. That's right. And we I talked find about that, this, yeah. like, it's I can I'm really sensitive to when all of a sudden I'm not that happy with something that I'm working on. Mm. Like I'm I can really feel that. Yeah. And then I just try to like you know, maneuver myself more towards things that I'm liking to do, you know, and right now what that is ended up being like, you know, this whole, the last two years I've been out in, um, San Francisco and it's been really interesting because, you know, being in New York, it's just such a different environment for working, mm-hmm. you know, like you kind of, I mean, it was great for me to be there in my early twenties cause I was so productive and just made a ton of shit. But, um, I didn't actually, I don't feel like I had like a handle on like myself and like my own like human development at that time. And it took, you know, coming out here to kind of like take a break from it. It probably also took like being in my late twenties and being way more introspective <laughs> about that kind of stuff. Sure. Of but, course. Yeah. But it's one of those things that I, I realized, you know, people ask you, where do you find your inspiration and blah, 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 like all the time. And I think that if you don't have a good like if your health is not epic and good and you're not like on top of like being, you know, taking care of yourself and your mind isn't like at ease and you're spending time like doing things that are calm and reading and going on long walks and stuff like that. It's really difficult to find inspiration when, when everything is just like haywire all the time. (laughs) So I feel like it, it really took kind of moving out here to realize that, breaks are like really important <laughs> oh you went to san francisco because every time i go to san francisco i get super stressed out so that's funny that i guess new york must be ridiculous i've never been there like um beyond like a day so well, I, I can you know i find that in new york i can get into a workflow really easy so like you know how you hit like flow state when you're working for like yeah. five hours and you can just go for like 20 hours yeah I, I can do that a lot easier in new york because people work for long hours there you yeah. know we'll go to the office you know, my studio mates there will go to the office at like 10 a.m. and just work until nine, like every day. And here, like I'll get to my office at nine, um, you know, inevitably someone pops by or there's like a lunch to be had. And then Russ, my husband will get home from work at like seven or seven thirty. So I'm keeping really way more normal work hours here. Yeah. But because of that, I feel like I have to manage all the stuff that happens when you manage a business so I have way less times in which I'm in that like flow work state unless I just ignore all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing (laughs) so like yeah which is really challenging it's super challenging and and it's one of those things too that like everything has pros and cons like yesterday I spent the entire day working on stuff I wasn't supposed to be working on and I was just like in the best mood (laughs) I was like working on a treat Oh, it was awesome. It, it definitely felt like a treat. Like I worked on a typeface and finalizing a typeface that I had like half baked for a client. And just, I, it's just been so long since I released typeface into the world, like over a year. And I was like, oh man, I just really, I really want that satisfaction of doing that right now. Yeah. And then I did it and it was super satisfying. But because of that now, my emails totally piled up and I have clients like emailing me being like, weren't we supposed to see sketches like yesterday morning? And I'm just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Every now and then it's like, okay to do that. I mean, certainly don't do it all the time. Oh like, yeah. I try not to like miss deadlines ever you have to um, feed that itch though you have to yeah it, or, it builds up to. yeah it makes it it's like yeah it's basically like this 
energy that builds up in your body. And if you don't get it out, then it's like stifles you in everything that you're doing. You get blue balls, life blue balls. Yeah, you get, you get artistic blue balls. <laughs> yes, artistic blue balls. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to. Uh, I, and the problem for me is I get it all the time. Um, and I don't, then it, it's hard for me to control that because all I want to do is just draw my own shit or do my yeah, own but stuff. You're, you're like a really unique person though too, because the kind of work that you do just does involve so much. You are not dissimilar to a type designer where you just need to put in a lot of hours all at once in order to make anything worthwhile, you know? And also like, you're just a really energetic person that just seems to like endlessly have shit that they want to be working on. Spaz, um, spaz. Which is, I mean, it's great. It's great to be that as long as you can be realistic and say, it's okay that I didn't do all the things that I uh, wanted to do this year because- I hate myself. <laughs> I know a lot of that your goals are like a thousand times more lofty than like everybody else. So yeah. you just have to, you have to like be excited about the things that you're working on and the goals that you're accomplishing, you know, even if they're not necessarily- all of the things that you wanted to accomplish in a six month time frame. Totally. And I think the distractions in life actually lead to um, interesting outcomes. And I think you hit it perfectly. It was, it's, it's your outlook on every um, interaction, you know, like if your outlook is positive and you're, and you're willing to understand that not everything's going to be exactly what it, it it's intended or you, what you had thought it would be the expectations basically, you know, like, that's one thing I always talk about with my wife is like expectations will get you into like the oddest predicaments because like your mind might see something completely different and then you, the outcome is this and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I always try to feel like I, I get myself into situations and I kind of have an idea of what it'll turn into, but I'm not like going to be disappointed if it turns into something else. Oh, and also, cool. too, I think sometimes with, uh, like, kind of more high-pressure big projects, I always have really low expectations. Damn you. That happen. So, like, sometimes I'll I'll get a job that's, like, the world's sexiest job or something, and I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. I can feel it. And then, like, <laughs> in the end, when it goes, like, pretty well, I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. You know, instead <laughs> of being like, oh, man, it's not at maximum capacity. You know, just like, <laughs> I've had enough projects at this point where it's, like, you know, a lot of times the jobs that you're like putting, like you're just like leaning all of your happiness against it, you know, waiting for it to turn into something like amazing. It's yeah. never going to hit that high note that you set for it. So you should just always like expect it to be like good, but not great. And yeah. then when it's great, you can truly celebrate, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can really um, experience the enjoyment of it. I just, uh, we just got done doing this huge project. It was like this short film that wrote and directed with, with my friend. And uh, I haven't shown really anybody. Um, and it's we're releasing it in May. And uh, I showed um, two of like my, my close peers that I've known since I started doing this stuff. And they were just really blown away. And it was such a really great experience uh, to show them that because I wasn't expecting that. And, and yeah. it's a perfectly exactly what you you just said it was just kind of like oh that's you know that's exactly what just recently happened which is really killer because then like you said you can really enjoy really what it is you know that experience of just the under expectation I guess you know yeah so. I mean well you have to you and it's depressing to think about it as like have low expectations <laughs> it's, it's more yeah. it's more you have to think about it as like have things that are small that would make you happy about it sure you know, like, of course yeah, like you, you have to have all these like little moments and being able to like appreciate the smaller accomplishment moments instead of just needing that big payoff at the end, you know, because mm -hmm. if you like are just waiting for that big payoff 
like whether it's like financial or whether it's like, oh yeah, oh my God, this thing is going to be used on like a blockbuster movie or whatever. <laughs> like it's like so rare that those things happen that you just have to like really appreciate the moments when like, oh well, I got to work with this like outstanding person that is in this field, and now maybe that will lead to me working with him again in another capacity, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's that's beyond okay. itself in value. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like have to have all those like little things that add up to like one giant awesome good experience instead of just looking at the end result. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's definitely it. I think that you can assimilate or you can connect that with like money and stuff. There was this one story that uh, my wife is telling me about this one one guy that worked all his life and saved up all his money and uh the like the week that he retired like cuz he worked like super late into his retirement and and he worked uh the week that he went to retirement he died so he had all his cash he'd been working saving up for and then he just passed away <laughs> he didn't he didn't, wasn't able to enjoy it yeah so that's like little to vacations be, and stuff you are have so to be key, like you know? an, yeah exactly you have to enjoy life as it comes you can't just wait for the big moment of enjoyment, you know, where's and all it, this knowledge come from? Oh, it most, I mean, I don't know. It probably comes from like my own weird, crazy experiences with life and family and stuff like that. And just like trying to set, like, you know, I, I always was kind of a happiness compartmentalizer when I was like, even a little kid, mm. I, if stuff in school wasn't going well, I was like, Oh, it's okay because stuff at home is going great. And stuff with friends are going great. If stuff with friends were going terrible. I would like try extra hard in school so that I would have like, a thing that was making me happy and made me proud. Yeah, so that's awesome. I, I feel like I've always been like that ever since I was a little kid, and I try and be like that too with client work. So like, I never rest all my happiness on one project. I always have enough like you know things in the fire that make me feel pumped. That I have like an overall level of contentment and happiness in the stuff that I'm doing. And then if one goes south, I'm just like, oh, whatever. That was one project of five projects, you know? Yeah, yeah. Optimism is the key to the game with this kind of stuff, I think. You know, if you're not optimistic or willing to allow yourself to be positive through the negative uh, moments, because there actually are quite a bit, because you do freelance, right? That's what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of negative moments in freelance. Like you, like there's so, I have, I've had a couple of jobs go south and like a couple of them went so far south that it was like upsetting. Mm. And like those jobs, if, if I like let them destroy me, I like wouldn't trust any client ever again. You know, yeah, you yeah. have to just sort of know that like every situation is unique and that both sides contribute to things when stuff, neg when negative stuff happens, you know, it's never just one person's fault. Um, and it's never just the client's fault and it's never just your fault, you know, it's, yeah, it it's, takes it's, two to dance, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can't let that shit eat you up inside because then you just will, it'll ruin the way that you interact with all future clients. Yeah. It's, it's baggage. It's, it's relationship. It's totally like, yeah. It's totally like dating, you know, yeah. like. Just because you dated one asshole when you were 16 doesn't mean that, like, <laughs> people are assholes. You know? <laughs> yeah, and you might have been an asshole yourself at 16. Exactly. You know, like, so. you might, you might look back, if you look back objectively, you're like, wow, I was crazy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I've been trying to be really um, uh, observing things from a good perspective and, and being very aware of the baggage that I carry. There are certain things that are really important within business to carry along with your, you know, bag of tools, you know, so to speak. But um, some of this stuff is very important to let go, I think. of Yeah, um, well, and one of the things, too, that you always have to remember is that you can be nice and be professional. Sure, you know, like, I think, I think that's one of the things that people worry about a lot, especially when they're freelance, is that you're always, like, on the defensive. You're always thinking that people are trying to take advantage of you instead of that people are just, like, dealing with the situation that they're dealing with and, like, 
speaking on the behalf of other people and yeah, their contract sucks, but it's not their fault. It's their legal team's fault and whatever, you know? And so you always have to come at like any problem that you have with a client as being like, this isn't their fault. This is just like the set of things that they've had to deal with. And I have to be nice and work with them and like tell them my thoughts, but not in a way that's like condescending or crazy or like, you know, is obviously showing that I'm pissed off about the situation. You shouldn't be like mad about anything (laughs) unless it becomes like really clear that they are actually trying to take advantage of you. But that's like 0.001% of jobs. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, I think um, that's actually an interesting thing we should talk about because uh, I just read this book. It's uh, Frank Miller and Will Eisner. They did this like really cool. Do you know who they are? The two comic book artists. Will Eisner, like I think was the creator, like one of the first comic book artists. Artists, and then Frank Miller created obviously like Sin City and like 300 and, and oh, yeah, the, yeah. Like Dark Knight Returns are yeah it rises I think it was uh, really amazing talents and um, they did this really awesome book where it's just an interview because um, Will Eisner is getting old I think he passed away obviously but um, they did this awesome interview and I read it. it's like 350 page book I just smashed through it through a couple, couple of days and in this thing they had a lot of talks about like you know the future of the of the business uh, just artist artists in, in general and for me I come from the design world and all this other stuff emotion and film and and when I read these uh, complaints or kind of comments from these comic book artists it's the same thing and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because it seems like you have a really good handle and hold on it is that with a lot of the the business now or the business as it has been I, I equate a lot of the flaws within this business within client and and uh, talent um, relations is that a lot of artists myself included are are, are very emotional like we're, we're emotional to get the emotions and the ideas out and that puts um, me personally as a I mean I'll just use myself as a case study so I, I like when I create stuff I put my all into it and so I put my emotions and everything that's in my life at that moment into it and that leaves that allows me to be vulnerable and I'm very thankful that I have like my wife to keep an eye on like okay you can't be doing that that's stupid and, and keeping an eye on but people that don't have that and are just like so like say for example like a dream project comes along you've always been a fan of this thing and you want to do it and they're like well you know you don't own the rights to it we're going to pay you at a day rate and you're going to have to work 10 hours a day blah 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 whatever in your and and before you know it you've completely sacrificed who you are as a as a human being to do this this project and and so what i'm saying here is that i think that there's a, there's an odd occurrence that happens within this industry mine i guess in general um where people are willing to sacrifice and what it does is it diminishes a lot of um the quality i guess of mm-hmm. what what creatives bring to the table and uh, i don't know it's just like it's been an ongoing kind of talk and statement um well you just have to you always have to know that whenever people like come at you with a contract or come at you with the rights that they need it's negotiable like you don't you don't have to settle for exactly what it is that they're doing and if they you know if they truly really want you like if you have a little bit of weight to throw around you can ask for things that sound like better, like the opposite of what they're showing you. Yeah, you know, like done if it. you're getting. Yeah, I mean, and it's one, and you have to have your own personal set of rules of like, and it's good to think about in advance, like, because if you're thinking about it 
right when that dream job comes, it's really hard to say no. It is, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. You, it's, you have to establish your like values as an artist and as a business person That's before that dream point. job comes along. I actually you know? do that, yeah. And I've actually had big companies change their NDAs and stuff for me personally because I'm like, if you want me to work on it, these are the terms, you know, and I'm not yeah. trying to be a jerk. It's like one of the biggest things that I have is I have to be able to show that work. I have to be able to self-promote. You wouldn't believe how many of these companies are like, you'll never be allowed to show it. You'll never be able to say that even worked on it like all these things and 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 for me i say well if you really feel that that's strong then my rate changes significantly because that's yeah, a loss yeah, that's, that's a damage exactly, towards me you know exactly that's an opportunity cost to you yeah like you you now have an inability to present like a giant chunk of your life you know yeah, like yeah, if months. you think about a big project that's like six months of your life that you will never be able to tell anyone about if yeah. you do sign that nba you Whack. know yeah it's crazy. But, it, um, but it's a really but, weird thing that they would want that. But at the same time, I, I always try to make sure that I see it from both perspectives, especially the older I get with this industry and the business itself. And so I try to go like, yeah, if I was creating this thing, I, and if this guy wanted to show his work, but his website totally sucks, so he misrepresented what the look of the feel of this thing was, that could be kind of... Well, and also remember, too, there's so many personalities involved in creating big stuff like that, yeah, that really. they might also be concerned that whatever you're going to show is going to look a lot nicer than what the final, <laughs> is, you know, yeah. and then all of a sudden all these people are interviewing you, like asking you about why they didn't do that thing. And it brings down like a negative thing on the, the entirety of the project, yeah, you know, true. versus like people just appreciating whatever happened from it, you know, sure, that's happened too. And that's definitely, um, one of those things as well, where it's like, it's a, it's an unexpected outcome I guess you know where you're yeah. you know you're surpassing I guess the client's intentions of its own self but yeah I think that that's been one of the that's been one of the things and that's a really great point I think to have your list of like terms you know and that I think that the term for me like I said obviously number one is you get paid and to get paid on time upon the agreement you know like I've had to deal with some stupid shit with that. And then also the second one is self-promotion because as a freelance guy, I'm just, I'm like a little island, you know, and I have to be able to have like a, my telephone working basically to communicate to the rest of the world. And the only way to get, keep that telephone working is to have a beacon of, of, of work to continually show, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, the thing is too, the thing that's going to be your biggest strength in negotiation is letting clients know that they are not special in terms of your needs and desires. You yeah. know, like, because people get real angsty when they think that you're asking something special of them that you don't ask of other clients. You know, so whenever I deal with, with um, especially when it comes to, like, licensing stuff and all that kind of jazz, yeah, what you, yeah. you want to do is get clients to know that this is just the way that you operate. Like you're not giving them and you're not demanding anything special of them. You're just saying what it is that you normally expect of them. You know yeah. what I mean? Because as soon as it's like, it's like the opposite of most situations. Like most people want to think that everything that you're doing is like custom and you're thinking about them and it's all like t custom tailored to what their needs are. Sure. But when it comes to actually like fighting contracts, they just want to know that this is just par for the course for you. Sure, you know, like yeah. you're not being really crazy on their contract, even though last month you signed one that was like you signed away the rights to your life. You know, <laughs> yeah. they just want to know that like anything that you're getting demandy about, you get demandy about with everybody. Yeah, that makes sense, you know, so they're not feeling that it's just like you're picking on them directly or just, you know, uh, just in that one. That that makes sense. And I've dealt with that as well. And that's been kind of a a good point to point out as well is making it so it's like, hey, this is this is kind of how it is for everybody. And I think that um, 
there's a well, think of, I mean, if you think about it too, I mean, we're basically like used car salesmen in terms really, of how yeah. we price jobs. People come on, come to us. They want a thing. They have a general idea of what the value of that thing is. Yeah. And then we say what our value of that thing is. And then they get to decide if they want to go with us or go with the place down the street that's a little bit cheaper. You know? Yeah. And that's just all, it, you know, it's like witchcraft, but it's also like, you know, we're, we're setting the prices that feel appropriate to us because of like people can trust us. You know, like you go to the, to the car salesman who you trust and isn't going to sell you a lemon. You know, yeah. So yeah. even though that person might be a little bit more expensive than the one down the street, who's like, you know, selling cars like whatever at like the lowest rate humanly possible, like, <laughs> you know, we we are the person that they'll come back to over and over again. Like they'll they'll come back to us to buy their kids' cars and stuff like that, just because they know that they can trust us. Yeah, there's so, that's actually a good point. And there's like there's a good statement too that there was during like what like a recession that we had in the states. Um, the only car manufacturer that actually seemed to make money, I guess, was BMW. And I guess it's probably because the people that had money are the ones on the top, obviously, and they can afford those cars. But at the same time, people the it's a luxury automobile, and people that you know like cars or appreciate them or whatever are willing to pay the premium for it. And so it's kind of like this thing, it's like it's like the whole like Walmart analogy, I guess, or something like that. It's like there's a quality to certain things and people are willing to pay for it, you know? Well, you just, you are willing to spend money when you know that the hassle is going to be less. Like how yeah. many times do you end up... Well, like, I use app, Apple computers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you, you buy a computer that you know is like thousands of dollars more expensive than other laptops around because the hassle is so much lower you know yeah. like you know that it won't encounter these like crazy epic problems that people pc dudes are like screaming right now <laughs> sorry, PC dudes. yeah sorry guys maybe <laughs> windows is good i don't know there's good pcs but there's shitty pcs you know yeah. like you know, there's like yeah you know, laptop that you can get for like a couple hundred bucks and like they'll they're great for like a minute sure you can use it for like, word doc and yeah email. they're not good for like hardcore graphics work and stuff like that and yeah. so you know you and i mean i do this all the time with I, you know, even when I make stuff, you know, like if I physically produce things, I'll work with a printer that I know is more expensive than other printers just because they, I've worked with them in the past and they do excellent work and I can trust oh, yeah. them every single time to output like crazy. There's a I, trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I just made like a, um, this like laser cut thing that is for sale in my store that says fuck shit up. Oh and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's super fun. It, it's made out of plexi. And I'm working with this like tiny place in Virginia that that is doing it. And because it's like their business and they're small and in America, like these things cost me like over 30 bucks a piece to make. So I can't charge like a like, you know, you can't charge too much money for them. But so my over my profit is not crazy. And when people ask me, they're like, well, why don't you just, you know, get them made in China or something like that? You can get them for like a dollar a piece. And I'm like. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. There's an integrity to that. Yeah. You know, I want to, you know, I want to pay other people that feel like what they do is art. Um, and yeah, it might mean that I don't make as big of a profit off things that I sell in my store, but it also means that I like know the people behind what I'm working with and and can get excited about working with them individually. There's a pride in that, you know. There's a pride in um I mean not to like, you know, um uh, 
not trying to discount China or any other manufacturers around the world. There's people that are busting their ass working just as hard as everybody else, I'm sure. But there's a pride and 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 an ownership of of what you're doing. You know, working with like a local business or a business of people that you can just get on the phone and call. There there's something that it's yeah, a pr- exactly. it's a premium I mean, that you it's allow. Just you know, difference. It's the difference between working with a small local business and working with a manufacturer, like a true sure. manufacturer. Sure. And like yeah. what I want to make and sell in my store is not like manufactured goods. I hope that people think of it as like artwork that they can put on their wall. And there's something about like, if I switch my production to something that was cheaper and more mass produced, it would feel less genuine to me. Oh, absolutely. And to them too, they'll pick up on it too. You know, they'll be like, Oh, this isn't, you know, like you've gotten a little bit too far, which is, you know, if it takes its course, it does. And that's what it is. And it becomes what it is, you know, but the, the, you're able to make the choice now and you're in a position to, to allow for quality over like quantity, I guess we'd say maybe, I'm not sure if that's the situation, but that's really, that's a beautiful place to be in because you're just going to continually make quality work, which is the key to this stuff. I think we were talking about it because um, you had brought up this really amazing point that like just threw my head in a spiral because I had this goal to make this book and I'm still probably going to do it. But you said, you know, Ash, you can make this amazing book and it could be like 300 pages and all this freaking awesome art and all this work. You can spend years and years making it, but you can only get X amount of money for it. But if you make like a poster, it's pretty much the same cost or price, you know? And I was like, fuck, you're right, you know? Like, but the, the thing is, like, I'm, my goal, I have to remember, isn't just to make money, obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I mean, that's, and that's, uh, you know, that's, I love books and would never discourage people of from Of course doing not, books. no. But it is one of those things where if your goal was, I, I need to make a thing to financially sustain me while I do this other stuff, yes. like, I can give people, like, uh, like point people to the path of least resistance yes. <laughs> instead of, uh, the, you know, the epic thing that is amazing and totally worthwhile in doing, but is not going to return anything close to what, you know, doing these kind of smaller, more put on your wall projects are. Yeah, which is really, um, it's a really interesting thing. Are you aware of like, um, like Mondo? You wear in Mondo? Yeah, you Mondo. know Mondo. Yeah, you, yeah. You've done stuff with Mondo, haven't you? Like Justin and them, have you talked? To I have. I haven't done stuff with Mondo, but I yeah. know of them. Okay, well, the, but the the whole the whole like resurgence of like uh, movie posters and 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 like bespoke like screen print like high quality yeah. like there's this whole like surge of this. Uh, it's like a new wave, I guess, that's occurring. That's really killer, actually. I really appreciate what it is, and it's been cool to be able to par- be a part of what they're doing. But um. I forgot I was going to get on there, but yeah, the, you were just basically talking about prints and then now you have like, you know, you're hit, you have a store as well. And there's all these things. I mean, when we were out in uh, Manila chatting, it was just like, you really threw my, my brain for like a spiral. Cause I was like, um, I thought I had a good lock on what I was trying to get accomplished. And then here you come along, like all smiley, happy, just crushing. I'm like, who the fuck? <laughs> how, are, how are you doing this? So I, I kept trying to pick your brain about like, well, no, you know, pretty much everything that I've, made in terms of like licensing stuff or having the store or whatever is because there was like a need to do it. Like I started getting a lot of people emailing me about prints and then I would have to like print them one off and it was really time consuming and I would have to have like an intern in to help me and all this kind of stuff. And then I was like, you know what I should just do? I should just make prints and put them on my store and actually like have an inventory of them. And that like solved a problem for me. Or like when people write me and ask me about, you know, Oh, I really want this, you know, this typeface or whatever. I'm like, okay, well mental note, if I get enough requests for that thing, that solves an issue of people like writing me and asking me for that thing. Yeah. So you just sort of have to like think about 
I mean, and that's, that's why my thoughts page and everything started existing because I would get these people writing me like over and over again with these really intense questions. And I was like, obviously like a couple of people are thinking that my opinion is worth listening to about these topics. Maybe I should actually like just put it out there. So then when people future come to me, I don't have to like answer their question again. You know, like, yeah, Yeah. I can just be like, okay, well, you know, this thing that you're asking me about, I've actually already answered and I try and keep it up to date and whatever. And I put it over here, please go to it, you know? And I did that. Like, that's why I made a resources page on my site too, where like, I just listed a bunch of websites that are inspirational or a bunch of other letterers and illustrators and stuff like that because people would come to me off over and over again and be like, oh, hey, like, can you do this tiny job for me? And I'd be like, oh, sorry, like, I'm not available for that thing right now, but go here and hire one of these people, you know? So it's really just you see the need for things all around you and just develop tools to, like, help those things get better or be satisfied and like everything that I've made has just been a way to do that you know yeah it's awesome how dare you be so smart <laughs> no <laughs> that's really like, great it's more like I'm a really bad delegator and I just need to figure out ways <laughs> to like, simplify and like streamline my my like input and output like you know when when I start seeing like a trend in what people are emailing me about and I'm like man how do I make these emails go away <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah ground zero emails yeah yeah, emails are man. That's another one. Now, how, how do how, like what's a normal day for you structured? Like, how do you like go through? Because obviously, you know, you have your husband. You guys gotta, you know, make sure you have time, and then I'm sure you have your friends, and then you're also into physical activities as well. So, like, kind of, what's a breakdown of how you balance everything? Because that's that's another really common interest of like people that are trying to figure out balance within themselves or listeners of the podcast. Well, I tend to keep like a pretty balanced schedule usually. And then when I have like a project that's really like burning in me, like the schedule totally shifts. Um, (laughs) So like on a regular basis, I've I've, I've actually been keeping like a really normal schedule, especially ever since um, Russ started working at Facebook and has like a real, you know, full like normal job. Like, you know, his, his hours are very structured. So I usually, um, you know, get to my office or like, um, I'm working by nine ish, you know, like sometimes it'll be a little bit later because I took a little extra time at the coffee shop or something like that. I usually spend most of my morning just like answering emails and dealing with like organizing stuff. Yeah. And then, um, maybe I'll work on like a sketch in the morning or something. If I have sketches due that day, I love sketching in the morning more so than the afternoon. There's just like something about it that I like better. And then, um, lunch happens and I, I, so I basically like accomplished very little before lunch in terms of like actually making shit. (laughs) Most of my making stuff happens in the afternoon. Um, but I do, I, I have started, um, exercising and stuff like that. So there's like two days, you know, one to two days a week where I do, um, a Pilates class at six o'clock at night. And that means that basically I leave the office at 5.30, I do that, and then I go home from there, and I might work at home later. But, you know, sometimes I'll use that as, like, catch-up time or, you know, just, like, brain-off time. And then um, there are other nights of the week. I, I also do yoga, and I'll do those at, like, 9 p.m. And so those can be, like, longer work days because I don't go to yoga till 9. Um, and But, I mean, integrating exercise has been really awesome because it – there's something, you know, like when you can get yourself like a little bit physically fit, you just feel a lot better during the day. Like when you're slumpy in your chair and your posture is terrible. Yes. Um, and that can like, when you're not distracted by constant neck pain or a constant, whatever other pain, it like makes you more productive. 
<laughs> Indeed, it really does. You know, like the repetition of just sitting there um, and just slaving away. It, I don't know. It, it it gets to me too. I have like a really badass chair. I have like one of those Aeron, like yeah, Herman Miller cool. ones. But still, even though it's like if I sit in this thing, which my if 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 my body didn't bitch so much, I would sit in it like for freaking hours, <laughs> like 12, 15 hours of just work, you know, because I just get super intense. But when I do have like a physical release, or if I'm a, if I allow myself to get out and go walk around or go like ride my bike, there's this whole like resurgence um, like of energy, you know, like there's just this whole I don't know. It's, well, like, you know, it's like it's really interesting because it's super like Zen or something where you, you have to like empty your mind to like allow new stuff to come in, you yeah, know? So yeah. I definitely feel like I had that a lot in New York because I had this walk to my studio that was like a 45 minute walk every single day. Oh, and I would, just, I would just solve so much during that walk. Yeah. So since I don't have that here, I've just been able to do it in other ways by like, you know, like yoga is really helpful for that because I just feel like my brain is just like totally cruising the whole time. It's not like hyperactive and thinking about all this stuff during work. It's just like chill. And then maybe I'll have like a moment where I'm like, oh my God, wait, that thing, you know, like while I'm in the middle of a pose or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, a very, it's very similar to me as like going on these long walks that I used to do where I wouldn't be thinking about much of anything. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, an idea pops into your head or like a way to organize something that you, you know, were thinking about yesterday or something, or suddenly you remember that you were supposed to do a thing two weeks ago and you didn't do it, you know? And like, so it's just like really handy to have time where you kind of try to empty out so that you can wait for the stuff that's in the back of your brain to kind of emerge, you know? Yeah. There's, that reminds me of this one thing I heard. Um, there's this one guy that worked from home like myself. And the problem for me is I just like roll out of bed like roll down the the hallway and I roll into my chair. <laughs> I'm like, ah, and I'm dreaming about it and I'm doing it and I'm, there's no gap. But this one guy, he would leave his house, walk down like to the coffee shop and, and he would get dressed actually too. You get, you know, well, of course to go to the coffee shop, but he would get dressed like he would go to his office, walk, like do like a, a route around the blocks or whatever. And then, you know, like 20 minute walk or whatever and come back. And that would reset his mind, okay, it's work time, and then he would go and do his work, you know, set amount of hours, and then basically cash out at the end of the day, and then, you know, exit the office or whatever and close close it out, basically. And, man, I have a really hard time doing that, personally. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that anybody that works from home, or really just anybody that works for themselves, you know, like, the one of the things that you struggle with the most is routine, yeah. Because, like, we love, human beings love routine. Oh, yeah, we, creatures of habit, big time. We are time. totally creatures of habit. And when you're freelance, you know, it feels like you don't have any of that, you know, because you kind of <sighs> yeah. never, never know what's coming. And, like, even the jobs that I take on, like, are usually not super long-term. So it's like even when I get into a groove with a client, you know, it's over right when the groove happens. And then I'll, and then I have to just wait until they call me again for, like, to be able to pick up where we left off. Yeah. So anything that you can do to, like, put some structure to your day is really, really helpful. Like, I just think it, like, it just makes you get into a mode in which you can actually like prioritize better, you know, because you're like, okay, well I did my thing. Now I'm doing my email, then I'm going to do this. And this is like the steps that I take to do my stuff or like, 
like I sort of know for a fact that like I have to do sketches in the morning. Like if I don't do sketches in the morning, I'm like flustered and my wrist hurts and I'm not into it or whatever, like all <laughs> afternoon. So if I don't get it done before noon, I'm just like, oh, F, you know, I didn't like accomplish that thing I was supposed to do. And then it becomes like a big deal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but really, I mean, what's the difference between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m.? Like there's no difference, but like mentally it's a big difference for me. And yeah. I think that having something where something that makes you like put on work clothes or makes you like take a shower and look like a normal person, like it just really helps just staying on task. Yeah, it's. I think you're absolutely right, and I think it triggers something within us that's innate that we like the habit of things, the habitual things, because that's really one thing that I have a real hard time with. Um, and I have to explain to my wife because she works like a nine to five, and and I and it's something that we've constantly forget. It's like I have to explain, like, look, uh, I'm constantly pulled everywhere all the time emotionally because I have. Uh, lots of jobs coming in and then I have the ones that I'm trying to take care of. So I have one foot in one, one foot out, and then I have all these things going around and I, and, and, and it's constantly shifting, you know, like I remember when I was working on like Ender's Game, like a project that was like a year and a half or so, just continual work. It was much more steady. Like I, I felt like I was working like a, like a nine to five, but once that, that capped off, I started getting really easily depressed and all thrown off because I, I couldn't, I didn't know what was happening next what jobs are going to come in, how to balance them, how to juggle them, you know, how to work with that client. Well, what's also really tough too is that there are like, you know, being freelance is something that not everyone understands and it can be really interesting and tough on relationships when people forget that what you do is a real job, you know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, you know, like Russ is really respectful of my career and stuff obviously and, and would never like do anything to like step in the way or sabotage it. But there's definitely times when he's like, Oh, well, like, are you going to be around all day today for when the house cleaner comes? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, my office, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. So it, and, or like, you know, if, if he misses a package or something like that, it's up to me, the flexible schedule person to go to the post office and wait in line for an hour to get it. <laughs> and and yeah. those are the things that you definitely struggle with as a freelance person in a non-freelance world, you know, like when people or like, you know, when clients hire you, even they'll write, they'll hire you on a Friday for a job that's due on Monday. Yeah. And how does this fly? Like you guys have a real job. You're going home on the weekends, but the expectation is that my job is 24 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's I've had that problem. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. And you kind of have to be like, it's hard because, Gotta be what, a little douchey about it, though. Yes, well, you have to be really straightforward about what you want your life to be. Yeah. But the issue is that anybody that's hiring you is in a much more like um, constrained position, and they probably envy your flexibility. So when you like rebel against the flexibility that you have by saying like, "Hey, I'm trying to have more work-life balance and trying to work just during the week and yeah. trying to keep, you know, my weekends free for passion projects or for hanging out with my family and everything like that. They're like, well, you already have all the things like your life is so good. And now you want more of the things, you know, it's like, kind of, <laughs> I don't think there's, there's something where, where there's like a lot of envy of people that have the flexibility of a freelance schedule. Um, but then people get kind of miffed if you try to, put constraints on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I've had experiences that are exactly that in the case in point where it's just like, it's a very, it's a challenge to 
keep that balance and then also explain to people that like you know this is i'm not just sitting around on my you know farting all day you know like i'm working you know there there has to be some kind of like there there's got to be some kind of understanding and um agreement with this kind of stuff and that's definitely i think you hit it on the spot like when when like anytime that i've given resistance to stuff like that there's always like well you know you're already free why you know like why are you asking for more of it it's like that's the curse with all this stuff i think and i think it's not a curse it's just kind of like a byproduct i guess Well, it's also too i mean there's like people have very weird expectations of like well the money thing becomes crazy too because sometimes you'll be working on a job freelance for an art director and like the amount of money that you're making on that freelance job which is like not all your jobs obviously it's like you know, maybe like the couple of jobs a year that you get that are like the big jobs. Yeah. Um, but you might be making like a third of their annual salary in like the like three weeks or whatever that you're working. Uh, yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden they get real weird about like <laughs> you, about you asking for certain things or getting like you know more demanding on schedule and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's because people assume that like every job is that. And there's not these like big breaks between those jobs. Yeah. Or not a lot of little stuff that you're doing for cheap or for next to nothing just because you're like excited about it and you're working with people that you want to work with. Yes, indeed. That's been a real struggle too because of the imbalance of that and what that brings um, to the dynamics of relationship as well. It's been challenging. My goal for a lot of these things is I I was trying, (laughs) what I was trying to do, and I think it's something we talked about out in Manila was that take on like a job. crush it, do a great job, make a decent amount of cash and then like take like a month off, you know, and just focus on my own stuff. And it just, the problem I've had is that I just, there's all these jobs that I want to do. Yeah, well, as soon as you do that, then (laughs) your like next dream job happens and you're like, Like, Um, but no, well the issue, um, what was I going to say? I totally lost my train of thought. Um, you ever get tired of talking about this kind of stuff? know i feel like um i have a good pace of it in my life where it usually just revolves around like conference stuff or you know like i only get tired when when i'm interviewed for stuff and it's like obvious shit that people should just research and like write answers about like be like how did you become a letterer and i'm like literally every interview i've ever done (laughs) question like can you just like use that or like you know write something with that (laughs) But, but i love talking about stuff that is not that you know stuff that's more um, you know, in the moment and using my brain and not just like me reciting my bio in an interview. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you find it challenging to, to, um, leave the shop talk at, at the office when you get back to home or when you're hanging out with your husband? No, I mean, I'm, I'm usually, I mean, we don't really talk shop all that much, mostly because he's not much of a shop talker. Mm. Um, and usually the only times that I'm ever talking a lot of shop outside of the office is cause I'm mad about something. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of for the best that I don't do it a lot because I think that would just mean that I was like angry about things a lot. Like I was talking about it a little bit last night because I'm kind of bummed because I'm working on, I was working on a book project that might not happen because their contract like is really bad. Like, Uh like parts of it are bad. Like the contract itself is fine, but there's like certain things that they're asking me about in there that I just like cannot, they're definitely like deal breaker things. Mm. And I was like all sad about that because I'm like, well, I really want this to happen, but I can't sign that thing. Yeah. Good on you for um, sticking up for your own, you know, I guess demands, I guess, you know, it's really challenging. I've had to say no to some like really amazing projects and I hate it, but it's just like, 
you know, at the end of the day, I just thank myself. And my wife always reminds me, she's like, you know, you close that door and then a, another one's going to open tomorrow. She's seen it happen so many times in my life where it's like, yeah, well, you know, and that, and that's the thing is like the stuff that I, that I, that's in there that I can't, you know, that I can't deal with is stuff that would close a lot of doors. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things where they want like the rights to produce anything of anything that's in the book forever after that, you know, like, I have, <laughs> and I'm just like, this is like, you know, it would be a book that would have a lot of my work that I've made over the last, you know, several years in there. And I'm not going to like sign a thing that says that I have to go to this publisher every single time I want to make anything out of something that is a piece that I made completely unrelated to the book, like, you know, years ago. Yeah. And, Cause you're going to probably want to be like, make a book the, the best of, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And eventually you want to be able to have the rights to do that. Yeah. Or even like, I might get some really wonderful, nice person that writes me and says, Hey, I, I this thing that you made three years ago, I really want a poster of. And yeah. it would just suck if I would have to be like, oh, sorry, I have to like talk to this publisher to make sure I have the rights to do that because that's considered an ancillary work or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know? It's like definitely, you know, you don't want to sign anything that like makes your life harder in the future. Was there a resource that you um, went to when it came to like understanding a lot of these business aspects of what this line of business uh, ensues, I guess? Did, is there something that you, you know, found to be beneficial for you as a resource? Well, I have an artist rep and he has been really helpful because he basically just deals with like the business of being an artist. Who is and this so, person? Um, his name is Frank Sturgis. So he, like illustrators a lot of times will have reps and then they're basically people that you give a chunk of uh, your money to every time a job comes in. Uh, and because of that, they do the negotiation for you and like go over contracts. And like in this, in the case of this book, like we literally just read through it line by line for four hours. And he like pointed out things that he just didn't like. And I pointed out things that I didn't like or things that could be like misread and stuff like that. And then he's the one that goes back to the publisher and says, Hey, sorry, we can't get down with this thing. Mm. But, um, how much of, of your that, time do you think you spend on the business aspects? Like, cause I, I mean, I didn't realize it until when I went to do freelance, I was like, fuck my life. I have to do like half of my days, emails and contracts and shit. It's a lot. You know, I, since I don't have to be the one that does all of the contracts and all the invoicing and stuff like that, that definitely takes away. And like, you know, I don't have to be the one that like hounds, people down for money yeah which is, which is really nice but they, frank, I mean, frank you, does that for you yeah frank does that oh but, frank is amazing then huh? I know. but that's the thing is like most illustrators don't send everything that comes their way to their rep but oh, I, okay but i do just because i don't want to deal with it on my own sure well you got you, you're you're a, you're a bit of an anomaly though you got i'm sure you got a crazy insurgence of stuff you know so well i mean it's one of those like most people use reps to get them work and then the work that they get through the rep, the rep handles, but anything that they do on their own through their own hustle, they do themselves. Yeah. Um, because reps take, you know, like 25 to 30% of the total job cost. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like a big chunk of change sometimes. Yeah. And some people see that as, as something that they shouldn't have to pay. But for me, I'd rather be sane than rich, you know? <laughs> yeah. As well as, I mean, it's pretty smart though. I think it's a smart move. You know, if I, if my wife didn't help me with all this stuff, I would definitely be seeking out the consultation of somebody that had my best interest in mind because they are getting paid as well. So it's almost like, I mean, you're, you're like a corporation now and, and, and you're treating it like a business like that in a sense, you know, and, and that, is a, that person is a very key aspect to keeping the business uh, continually growing and stuff. So it's like, it's almost like, you know, you got, if you're going to do it, you might as well just do it right. You know, like, yeah. um, and, and that's, that's a lesson that's hard 
um, for a lot of people to learn, myself included, because I grew up like really poor, and so money's kind of weird. And so I'd always be like, well, I'll just do it all myself, you know, like, fuck it, I don't need anybody. But the the more professional and, and, and the, the bigger I become, I go like, I need help, because this is like ridiculous. And I can't do everything really good. I have to make sure I, I just focus on the creative side of things, you know? Yeah. And it's been one really cool thing that I've definitely um, caught on from our friendship is just like, I really like the way that you you represent yourself and the way that you, you kind of handle it. You can't, you handle your career really well. I see, I think, you know, it's like, it's, it's really like, uh, I admire it big time, you know, like there's, there's not a ton of people that really seem to have a good lock on it that I've met personally. Um, I mean, there's people that do, they're, they're successful, but the balance and then you're still happy. It's like, damn, that's, you're doing it right. <laughs> you know, like, cause it's like, it's very, it can be, uh, you know, like it can be very grueling if you let it get to you and stuff. So it's, it's really cool. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you always have to, like, I think I was, you know, I probably have a not super dissimilar upbringing to you where like, you know, my parents were, like, you know, awesome and well off when I was really young and then they got divorced and then I had like a completely broke, like semi-unemployed mom. Um, and just seeing what she could do on $20,000 a year, you know, yeah. raising, you know, was a craftiness. It's definitely some craftiness. And like, yeah, I mean, my, my dad like supported us when we were, you know, under 18, but then as soon as you become a real adult, and like, you know, leaving the house and like seeing her now, like even like she works for me, like I hired my mom to do like stuff for me after she got laid off from a job. Yeah, which but, is awesome too, you know. Which is great. But I mean, like I, I also, I, I feel not far away from pe- from a lot of people that do, that, you know, lead happy lives without a ton of money. You know, Smart. like yeah. most of my family members are not like, you know, I don't have like some rich uncle or something, you know, like. Yeah, I'm, same. Like, a yeah. really normal person like my brother's a teacher and um you know like most of my family members live um you know pretty like normal like middle class upper middle class lives um and it's it's just like i i know that i'm doing like really well right now but i hope that i never get to a place where i couldn't survive if i wasn't doing as well financially you know like i don't yeah, i don't weird wanna, yeah, I don't want to be one of those people that like builds up a life around them that is impossible to leave. That you know, yeah, like, you're controlled by it. Yeah. yeah, like you know, because I see that all the time. You see people that like go through a financial hardship, but they like can't downsize. They have like a really hard time like getting rid of all the things that are expensive in their lives that would make it just so much easier for them to survive. You know, like, and I yeah. always want to be a person that is flexible that way. That if like suddenly my income shifted and I was just making like. 30 grand a year for the rest of my life that I'd be able to like deal with that. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a really beautiful way to look at it. I mean, it's really, for me, it's challenging being a father and and just like, you know, a a parent, you know, all I want to do is make sure I, I, have some kind of foundation providing for my family, but it's, it's definitely challenging, you know, and, and that's a really key thing I've realized. I mean, um, it's like more money, more problems. It's been definitely the lesson of the past couple of years for me. It's like, uh, the money to, isn't the end of all this, you know, it's like, it's just kind of like, it's just one of those things, you know, it does, it doesn't mean it's happiness, you know, it's just, yeah. I mean, really all that you want financially in life is to, make enough money that you don't feel crushed by financial burdens. 
you know, like, and if you can set up your life and, and live in a way that does that, like, no matter what, how much money you're making that you can make that happen. Like, you know, I live in a very expensive place right now. I live in San Francisco. Yeah. It's crazy expensive there. It's crazy expensive. But I like to think that like, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. It's not like I couldn't be happy in that situation again. Sure. And it wouldn't be, you know, obviously it wouldn't be like ideal forever, but you can make happiness happen in like any situation that you're in. As long as you can, you, you're like a little Buddha over there all smiling (laughs) and happy. How dare you? (laughs) You can't feel crushed by stress and financial issues. So whatever you can do to not have that happen is great. And like for me, like I, I feel like, you know, it is kind of like more money, more problems. And like, you want to make like enough money that you could not freak out about buying a $10 hamburger. Like that's like, (laughs) that is actually my like baseline of money. Like if I like have a $10 hamburger for lunch and not be like, Holy shit! Why didn't I make this at home? Because it would cost me two dollars and fifty cents to make this. <laughs> you know, like as long yeah. as I always feel that like on a random Wednesday I could go out and buy myself lunch and not have a meltdown about it. Yeah, I, that is like financial success to me. Yeah, you know, I don't need a fucking Tesla. Like I don't need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you think that your your mind thinks that you do. That was a big change for me too. I remember going to the grocery store and and every time I would only buy the stuff that was on sale, you know, like, or like, you know, two for one or whatever that I would only look at the prices. I wouldn't look at the product. And once I became successful, I was like, I'm just going to buy the product that I want. And that's how I really started to realize that I've reached the goal that I wanted, you know, like of just being able to acquire good food, basically, you know, like, yeah. yeah. I think it's important to make sure that you step back and look at your life. Yes. um, And, and see those moments. Yeah. Like the time, like, and to like be in the grocery store and say, man, there was a time where I couldn't even think about buying the organic vegetables. Yeah. And now, yeah. and now I'm just like willy nilly organic vegetables. <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, that frozen meal that's like $6. Like I would have been like, why am I doing that when I can just get this like, you know, dry packaged meal that's $1.89, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just to sit there and like absorb the fact that you're in a position to be able to do that. And that's the most, that's, that is financial success to me. That's not, yes. you know, I don't need a mansion. I don't need smart, like a crazy fancy car. I just want to know that like I could eat decent food and like uh, hang out with friends and not have to worry about being like the person that can't do things because they can't pay for the $20 concert ticket or yep. for the $12 movie ticket. Yeah. You know? We, there's a diminishing return. That's when it becomes not you. When money becomes something that becomes a character of you, then it's not healthy, you know? And it's just like this weird extension of like, I don't know what it is. It, it becomes this weird thing. And I see it's easy and I could see how people fall into that trap, especially if they, you know, they don't earn it or it just kind of hits them. So like, there's a lot of case studies with like all these like um, kids that come out of like the, the ghetto and stuff and become like NBA, like first drafts and all these kind of stuff. And then they make all this money and these like their first obsession was like tennis shoes and those tennis shoes turn into houses and cars and once they like you know have an injury or some kind of crap and they can't maintain their body or their career those houses and those cars they have to lose them all because they can't maintain that and it becomes this weird extension of themselves and if you can't get a control over it or understand really what the key of happiness is yeah um, i mean you shouldn't base your identity on stuff 
You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and that's a tra- that's a challenge, I think, for all of us as well with the career. You know, like we base a lot of success off our careers, which is ourselves, basically, like an extension of ourselves, which is like this work, you know, which is like, you know, when we're when we're being flown around to talk to people, it's based off of our work and our career. And it's and it's very important not to get lost in the idea that um, what I'm doing here is, is, is not me necessarily. It's just kind of the work, you know, and that's been a interesting thing for me to learn as well. It's just like trying to be very objective about what all this stuff is, you know, and being key and, uh, acknowledging like, you know, that I'm not this thing. I'm, I'm a person beyond this, you know? Yeah. And desires. This has been an awesome podcast. You have to get back to work. I have to get back to work. <laughs> I want to do a part two if you're ever up for it, we definitely have to because I really feel like we're just scratching the surface of like the amazingness of that of the the amount of information and stuff that you can provide not okay. only to myself. And then maybe, yeah, and then next time we can uh, talk about actual letters or something. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that's the thing though. I, I, with the podcast, this, like philosophical talk. Yes, this is, this is like my favorite way to do a podcast for sure. It's the only way, you know, because <laughs> I'm sure you... that like all your listeners are like, and how come you didn't talk about type at all? <laughs> I go look at her site and be amazed by it. You know, like I want you to know her and in, in the way she kind of works. You know, like that's to me that's way more important because I guess because I see things in a different way. You know, like I find that to be so like amazing. You know, the philosophical ideas and the concepts of how you get things done. Those are the bigger ideas, I think, through life that will push you through because all the minutia and the details, of course, are important, but the bigger ideas and concepts are always something that, maybe that's just the way I like to look at well, things. I, you know, you know so. I think it's also probably like we were talking before about how you have to like get your mind right before you can make great work. And if you're Absolutely. like, if you're cluttered by all this like crazy shit going on or like, you know, if you care too much about things that shouldn't matter as much to you, then all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder to create. Yeah. So. I totally agree. And you're, you seem to really have a really amazing, um, knack and understanding of it and stuff. So yeah, basically you rule and thank you so much (laughs) for your time. You and your husband have a wonderful night tonight, have a freaking killer time working on your stuff and I'll keep in touch and hopefully, um, next time up in San Francisco, we'll all meet up and have, have some drinks with my wife and everything. That'd be awesome. Into it. And, uh, yeah, have a great day and I'll try to set up a part two in a couple months or something. Whenever you have time, I know you're super busy and so we'll work it out. Rad. Perfect. Killer. Awesome. You have a wonderful day. You too. Kick ass. Yay. Ooh.